We begin Masechet Nazir Daf Bet. As we're going to see, um, the uh, this Mishnah and the Gemara on it is almost parallel to the very beginning of Nedarim. So we begin Kol Kinuye Nazirut Kin Zirut. We're starting at the beginning with how one becomes a Nazir. Uh, the standard way would be one makes a vow and says had any Nazir, and he may indicate the uh, how long he wants to be a Nazir for. Um, but just like with vows in general, we also have substitutes uh, or nicknames. Um, so a Kinuy, there are other words that one can use. Um, okay, we're going to see those words in a minute. Now, Ha'omer Ehe Hareze Nazir. As the Gemara is going to explain, even though in the Mishnah it just says uh, these substitute words and then gives a whole list. For, so if we only had the Mishnah, we might think that all of these things on the list are different substitute words. Now, but the Gemara is going to explain, actually, there's two categories of, um, of words that are not directly Nazir. Um, one is a substitute that we're going to give examples of in a second. But first, uh, the Mishnah uh, talks about abbreviations. Uh, where it's not even a substitute, it's just not a whole phrase. Usually you would say the full phrase, but in this case, you just say an abbreviation, I will be, and that works, that makes someone a Nazir. Gemara is going to talk about, doesn't that sound ambiguous? What? It could be, I will be anything. How do you know what it means? Okay, but that's one. Or Or similarly, I will, be, I will become beautiful, that person's also a Nazir. The idea is that when someone grows their hair long and it gets curly, um, then they have a certain amount of beauty. And so this is a more indirect way of saying it. Uh, and it works. Nazik, Naziach, Paziach, Hareze, Nazir. These three words are all kind of rhyme or uh, sound like the word Nazir. And what happened, just like vows in general, person doesn't want to say korban like a korban um, because those words already take on holy meaning. And so people didn't want to say them, but they did want to say something like it, um, the same, same way that in English is lots of words like um, um, heck, uh, that people don't want to say hell, and so they say a, a substitute word. And so the rabbis regulated these words. Uh, they, they might have come into common usage by people, or, or maybe the rabbis introduced them. But anyway, the rabbis are regulating and saying which words are considered official language that everybody understands. And there's other words that, uh, if they're not here, then if someone just says some nonsense word that they just made up, then they're not going to be a nazir. Okay, so these three are valid substitutes. Hareni kazeh. A person says, I'm going to be like him. Uh, presumably, he sees a nazir and he says, I'm going to be like that person. And that works. Hareni mesalsel. I am going to be a, a hair curler. I want my hair to be curly. That also is a nazir. Because what does he mean by that? Just that he wants to have curly hair? That would be an unusual thing to say. So um, more likely what he means is that I want to be a nazir. My hair will go lo grow long and then it will become curly. Hareni mechalkel. I am uh, uh, I'm, I'm growing uh, my hair out. I'm, I'm kind of feeding it. I'm giving. I'm letting my hair uh, grow. Or it's incumbent upon me to grow my hair long. All these are ways of saying that he will be a nazir. So far, we didn't have any machloket except for the last one. Someone says, "I take upon myself an obligation of birds." Well, this is one of the things that a nazir has to bring if he should become tameh lamet 
which he's not allowed to be, but if he does, then he has to bring two birds. Um, and so he's uh, taking upon himself the obligation of two birds. So this is another indirect way of saying, I accept upon myself to be a Nazir. Does that work? Rabbi Meir says, yes, that is a way of saying it because the Nazir does bring it. Hachamim say, no, this is too ambiguous, too ambiguous, too indirect. We don't know what he's talking about. Um, in fact, not every Nazir is going to bring two birds. If he doesn't end up become Tamemet, he won't bring two birds. And therefore, Hachamim say that is not good enough to become a Nazir. Okay, good. Now, as often uh, is the case, Opening sugyot in the Tamud Bavli will focus on structure and language, um, and uh, through that we'll learn a lot of uh, basics, fundamentals that will help us throughout the Masechet. So we ask first, First, the order of this, um, uh, of the Masechtot, and why is Nazir in Sedenashim? Right, we see the Tana. The author, the author of the Mishnah, or the reciter of the Mishnah, we're dealing with Nashim. Okay, so very good. So we just learned a few Masechtot in Nashim. And so we're in the middle of, of laws that have to have relate to women, like a Ketubah. So what, 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 for what reason uh, does we have naz, do we have Nazir here? Right? A lot of Nazir is about Korbanot that the Nazir has to bring, so it could be in Kodashim. What is it doing here? Really good question. And the answer is Tana Akera Ka'eh. Uh, where it's based on um, the order of Pesukim. We're going to connect Pesukim and Devarim, Pesukim Devarim with Pesukim where Nazir is stated in Bimidbar. So in, in, in Devarim, where it's talking about the basic law of divorce, it says, if a man does not find favor, uh, if, if a woman does not find favor in a man's eyes, because he found some matter of Adva. Uh, so presumably some kind of adultery. And so this would be a typical reason why a man would want to divorce his wife. And now, if you're wondering, what would cause a woman to go and do adultery? Um, uh, very often it's because of wine. She gets drunk, she loses control of her um, rational faculties, makes a bad decision. And so we see wine is one of the culprits. And that's why we connect sota. Sota is a suspected adulteress. And so anyone who sees a sota go through the ritual of sota um, and finds that she, she had transgressed, even witnessing that uh, makes a person want to keep as far away as they can from such matters, from even the possibility of sin. And therefore, such a person who witnesses a sota is going to want to keep away from wine. The idea is like if you see a bad car accident, then you're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to drive at night. I'm not going to drive when it's raining or dangerous, right? Once you see something so bad and you say, I don't want that to happen to me, so you take extra precautions. Then the same thing here, when um, if someone uh, uh, comes into contact with the situation of adultery, and sees the punishment, he says, you know what, I'm going to be a nazir, a nazir 
and that way I'll be saved from uh, this uh, th th these uh, any of these problems. Therefore, since in 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 Seder Nashim we do talk about Sota, um, therefore we're going to talk about Nazir as well. Um, okay, so interestingly, in the order of Masechtot, in fact, we do have Nazir and Sota. Um, there are uh, there's other versions of the order that we have in the, of the Masechtot. Um, and uh, but even even according to this, follow the order that we have after Nazir, we have Sota. So these are back to back. They are clearly related to each other. Um, but uh, furthermore, in the Pesukim, uh, we can see that we have Nazir is uh, set is uh, the laws of Nazir are here in Bemidbar chapter six. Um, and this comes immediately after all the laws of Sota. Um, and so, uh, in fact, the, the, the order of the Masechtot are paralleling the order of the, um, of the Pesukim themselves. Um, even if the order is switched, the point is that there's a close relationship between Sota and Nazir. Um, someone, if you see a Sota, you're going to want to be a Nazir. And uh, therefore, yeah, even if just taking the order that we have um, of uh, Nazir first and then Sota, Still, the idea is the same, that these are closely connected, and uh, therefore, uh, Nazir is mentioned in Seder Nashim. Okay, good. So now that we resolve that, Patach Bechinuyin, Hum Faresh Yadot. Now we're going to wonder, how come the Mishnah starts off with, these are substitute language, um, uh, any substitute language, it was considered as if you said, I'm going to be a Nazir. And yeah, even though it starts off that way, then immediately, I'll show you again, Right, and then it doesn't give an example of a substitute, but rather ehe, which is an abbreviation. So why would you introduce some a category and then jump to a different category, which actually was not even introduced? Um, you should go directly to nazik, uh, naziach. Those are the those are the substitute categories. That's the question. So Rava explains, and some say it was said without attribution, anonymously. Okay, so whoever said it is explaining that actually our Mishnah is lacking, it's missing words. I remember the Mishnah was transmitted orally. And uh, sometimes it would be transmitted in abbreviation uh, because the point is to memorize it in a short way. And so the, the, we might, maybe the Mishnah actually abbreviates the part about abbreviations. Okay. But in order to fill out the full Mishnah as it originally was, we have to add a few words from the, the, the version that we have. And therefore, the full Mishnah would read as follows. Any substitute of a Nazir is the same as a Nazir. And also, a second category, any, abbrevi any abbreviations of a Nazir also means a Nazir. And so we have A and B. And then after we mention B, And I'm going to give you some examples of abbreviations. Just saying, I will be. That's an abbreviation and that's sufficient. Okay, good. So now that we added those words in, now we ask about the order. Since in the categories, let's call them A and B, uh, first you mention the substitutes, that's A. And then you mention abbreviations, that's B. So you should go in the same order when you actually give uh, details of them. Right? You give the general category A, B, then you should follow the details of A, meaning substitutes, and then B, 
uh, uh, abbreviations. Um, but instead, it does an ABBA uh, um, um, uh, uh, structure, right? A chiastic structure. So why not do ABAB? And the answer is Tana Mahuda Salikahu Mefaresh Beresha. No, the Tana likes to mention and give the details of what it just mentioned pre previously. It's a nice, pleasing structure to do AB. Uh, as an introduction, I'm going to talk about these two categories, and not, oh, while I just said B, let me explain to you B first, and then go back to A. Right? And that's often done in many Mishnayot. And we're going to now bring three examples of where we have the Mishnah does, in fact, use that structure. The second pedic in, in uh, Shabbat says, uh, what, you, what do we use to light? What kind of wicks and oil do we use to light? And what is prohibited to use to light for Shabbat lamps? And uh, so that's the general categories A and B. And if, as soon as it does en it explains, oh, en madikin, these are the following items that you cannot use. So you see it uses an A, B, B, A structure. And this is typical. Also from Masechet Shabbat, what kind of things are you allowed to use for insulation uh, to keep your food warm? And what can you not use for insulation because it's going to add more heat and cook the food? And then, after it lists the categories A and B, it details the B's first. So again, a chiastic structure. Another third example. Also from Masechet Shabbat, um, what, what things can a woman wear outside and is considered wearing and permitted? And what the kind of things is a woman not allowed to carry outside? Um, and that would be considered carrying and not wearing. Or we're afraid that she's going to take it off. Mefadesh lo Then it explains the second category first. Again, an ABBA structure. So we see that this is actually typical that we use this chiastic structure, and that's what we have in our Mishnah also. Remember, it's our reconstructed Mishnah. Um, so you could ask, if once you're reconstructing the Mishnah, why not reconstruct it as A, B, A, B, and put the Adot first? Um, so, well, maybe they knew that it starts off, right? Everybody knows the, the name of the pedic, right? It's called, uh, this is the, the, the pedic that's called, called Kinuye. So it has to start off that way. Um, but also, maybe actually they wanted it to be A, B, B, A, because that is so typical. All right, so far so good. Here's the problem. Here's a couple of examples of Mishnayot that don't follow the chiastic structure. Also from Shabbat. And what ways do, what can an animal carry outside and it's permitted? Even animals are considered carrying things if they, if they, if it's for the benefit of the animal themselves, right? Sometimes in New York you see dogs wearing a little uh, jacket, right? So that benefits the animal themselves. And what things can they not uh, go out on? Because then that would be uh, putting a burden on the animal, and you're not allowed to um, uh, to use an animal and put a burden on it. So uh, it follows. Uh, the, it gives those two categories, and then it uh, goes back to A and says, "Oh, a gamal can go out." with the following items. So you see this is an AB, AB structure. And another one in Baba Batra where it has four categories. Yes, no chalin, no chalin, velo manchilin, manchilin, velo no chalin, lo no chalin, velo manchilin. Umfadesh, elo no chalin, manchilin, beresha. It's going to get four categories of those who inherit or bequeath. And so there are some who both inherit to others and, uh, and bequeath. 
um, and they can inherit from, from them. Like a father and son, if a father dies, then the son inherits. And if a son dies without children, then the father inherits from the son. So that's nochalin u manchilin. And then it goes into, uh, and then the second category, uh, some that do one or not the other, and the last category is that they do not inherit or um, inherit from each other. And then, so after it gives the four categories, A, B, C, D, it goes back to A. So this is an A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D structure, not a chiasm. So how can you explain, how come, why does the Mishnah sometimes use chiasm and sometimes straightforward structure? You know what? The Mishnah uses both structures. Okay, so how does it decide which one to use? Oh, it has to do with the content. If you're talking about an isur, a prohibition upon an individual, then a person wants to know, oh, what am I not allowed to do? Oh, you're not allowed to use to, to carry these items out, a uh, woman. Uh, you're not allowed to um, use these wicks and oil for a candle. So if there's two categories, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Tell me what I'm not allowed to do right away so that I know. And then afterwards, you, you can fill in the things that I'm allowed to do. That's more important, more pressing. However, However, regarding an animal where it's, the, it's only the prohibition is, of course, on the animal's owner, but it's only indirectly. It's not the person himself carrying, but the question is, what can an animal carry or not carry? And since the prohibition is more indirect to the owner of the animal, uh, so it is the prohibition is less pressing. You could add, in this case, uh, to explain it better, uh, is that you might think that, uh, you know, it, it makes sense for people to wear clothing, right? People wear clothing, and so that makes sense. And so you'd assume, well, I guess a person can wear anything he's wearing. Oh, uh, there's some exceptions that they can't wear? Oh, I need to know the exceptions, right? Because I would think that everything is allowed, so that's why you want to make sure to uh, uh, tell up front the things that are not allowed. Whereas for an animal, animals don't wear clothing. And so your presumption going in is that an animal can't wear, carry, you know, have anything on the animal if it's if it's going outside, um, and therefore um, it's the bigger chidush for an animal is to say, oh, here's what an animal can wear, right? That's so so that's the kind of the more interesting, the more pressing thing that we would want to know right away. So you know, whatever is the chidush is going to be said first. Okay, good. Now, regarding nochalin, this doesn't fit into either of these. Like, it's not that it's um, a prohibition, but we're just talking about, you know, who gets to inherit. And so here, we want to give the basic principle first. The basic, the, the basic principle of inheritance, you want to give the prototypical example of those who inherit to and inherit from. And that's a father and son. All the rest of them are exceptions where it doesn't work, where inheritance does, breaks down. Um, relationships that do not inherit or for, to or from. And so it makes sense that you want to give the main example principle first. Okay, good. Um, now, based on that principle, let's go all the way back to our Mishnah in Nazir and say, you know what, you should explain the, the, the first thing first, the substitutes first. You said, there are substitutes and there are abbreviations, so why not give the substitute first, right? Um, uh, since that is the, the main principle. 
uh, substitute word is really basically like saying the word itself, right? If you call someone Bob instead of Robert, it's still their name. And so to say Nazik instead of Nazir, we don't even need a, a derivation for this. It's just so basic that just like you can say Nazir, you can say any other word that's basically a synonym. Uh, that means also Nazir. So really that's the basic principle. Shouldn't you say that first? And we answer actually quite the, it's, it's exactly for that reason that we give the abbreviations first. First, precisely because uh, abbreviations, we learn them from a derasha because they are secondary. And we learn them from a derasha, they are more beloved. Right, some things, things that are in the Torah itself, of course we love Torah, um, and that's the basis, that's the foundation. But with more beloved is the, um, is the explanations, the derivations, the, uh, the, uh, the expansions that the rabbis make. Now, let's see, where, in fact, do we learn this from? Uh, we learn the idea of, of, uh, of um, abbreviations from the double language. Since you use double language, Nazir and Lehazir, we uh, derive from that that even abbreviations work. Um, so because we want to emphasize um, the, the, the role of the rabbis in explaining and connecting the oral law to the written law, the Torah Torah Bichtav, and uh, that shows uh, their, you know, their, the rabbinic initiative. Hashem gives us the Torah, and then the rabbis take on the initiative of, of, initiative of explaining and clarifying the matter so that it be, is more beloved. Okay, that's why it's, uh, in this case, it's first. Now, okay, if the yadot, if the abbreviations are really so beloved, then even in the uh, general categories, why not start the very beginning of the Mishnah and say, by saying, yadot nezirut ke nezirut, right? And so it'll still be A, B, A, B, where with uh, abbreviations, substitutions, as the categories, and then give the details of abbreviations and then substitutions. So uh, you could have it all the way through. If it's so beloved, Tana ki matchil matchil beikad korban ulinan perushe mefarej yadot beresha. No, no, our Tana, the uh, the compiler, the the author of the, the Mishnah, uh, wanted to start off with the basic law of the sacrifices of the Nazir. And so for the general category would say, listen, this is how you become a Nazir, including the substitutes or our basic formula. Um, and so it gives A, B as the uh, substitute, and then only then it brings the abbreviations. However, when it's explaining and giving the details of them, it wants to give the abbreviations first, precisely because those are a beloved category. Okay, next. The Mishnah mentioned uh, this case of an abbreviation that someone says, I will be, um, that person is a Nazir. So we wonder, this, uh, this abbreviation is so short, how do you have any idea what he means? If he says, I will be, maybe he means that I will be uh, in fasting. Maybe he's taking upon himself a vow that he's going to fast. He doesn't say anything. So it's too ambiguous, isn't it? Shemuel explains that depends on the context. And this is the Mishnah Sormat case, for example, where there was a Nazir that was passing in front of him. He sees this Nazir with long hair and he says, eh And so it's clear from the context that he's looking at the Nazir and says, I'm going to be a Nazir. And that's what the Mishnah is talking about. That's why it works. Okay. 
Now we ask, Now, according to Shemuel, an abbreviation that is ambiguous, that is not clear, would that not be a valid abbreviation? In other words, if it was not that the Nazir was walking by, and it's a more ambiguous situation, then Shemuel, you're saying that it would not work, right? Or do we want to really pin down Shemuel? Because this is a big topic, and so what can we infer? that that's what Shemuel would say, only if it's extremely clear what he means, then it's a good ambigu- a- a- abbreviation, otherwise it's not a valid abbreviation. And we answer, not necessarily. Uh, in fact, there's, there's, um, there are categories that are clear one way, and totally unclear, and then something in the middle. So we don't know what Shemuel would say actually in the middle based on this. <clears throat> but the the um, the contrast would be if um, as follows: if there's a person and as he's walking from in front of him, then there's no question. There's no. There's not even ambiguous. Um, certainly, everyone would agree that that person would be a nazir. But if there's for sure no nazir walking by him, right? There's no one around for miles. In that case, we would we have to assume that he means I don't know he could mean anything. See, he probably means he's fasting, and so that is not it's considered not even ambiguous. If there's no nazir around and he says I will be, that's not a case of ambiguity. Um, there's no nazir around. There's no reason to think he's talking about a nazir. So therefore, we can't assume that in an in between case, some case between those two, um, where there's some nazir but maybe he's far away. Uh, where that would be ambiguous, um, we can't assume that Shemuel would for sure say that that's no good, that has to be right in front of him. Okay. Now, which is, hold on, it's still ambiguous, even if a Nazir is right in front of you, and he says, it doesn't necessarily mean that, is, uh, I mean, I, I'm saying I want to be a Nazir, maybe I'm taking upon myself the obligation for his korbanot, this was a thing that was done in olden days, the times of Beit HaMikdash. People would sponsor a Nazir. Um, the Nazir has to go through the whole ordeal for, let's say, 30 days and, and uh, prevent himself from all, the, from all those prohibitions. Um, but a person, but it takes a lot, of, uh, it's a lot of expense to bring all of the sacrifices that a Nazir has to bring. So sometimes uh, people that, were, uh, that could afford it, they would sponsor the korbanot of a Nazir, and thereby they would kind of get the credit. Uh, for the for the nazir, they can they get the mitzvah because they are giving the korban. <clears throat> we'll see more about that. Okay, so here maybe when he says ehe, what he what I, what I uh, I see a nazir and I say I ehe, maybe means that I want to uh, exempt this nazir from his korbanot because I'm going to bring them, right? Because so it's still it's still pretty ambiguous what he means. So we answer no. The kamar belibo. It's got to be a case where. He says he has a verbal part and a mental part. Verbally, he says, eh, but in his mind, you ask him, well, what did you mean when you said, eh, what were you thinking? Oh, I was thinking I'm going to be a Nazir, right? So you need both those parts. If someone just thinks something, though, so just thinking uh, an idea, idea is not going to make himself obligated. But if he says something out loud, and then he can explain what he was thinking, so those two, two things together make it sufficiently unambiguous, and that's why he would become a Nazir. We ask, Hold on. If that's what we're talking about, a case where Nazir is in front of him, he says, and he has in mind that that means I want to actually be a Nazir, then what's the, what's the chidush? Why would the Mishnah even need to say such a case? 
Isn't that obvious? We say not necessarily. I might have thought that you have to have your mouth and your mind identical, meaning I would have thought that you actually have to articulate both things. I have to say, I want to be a ehe and I want to ehe a nazir, because otherwise it could be I just want to bring a korban. And so since I might have thought that that wouldn't work, that's what Shemuel is coming to explain, is the chidush of the Mishnah, that even if he just has a person walking in front of him, and all he says is ehe, um, but he has in mind, right, then that's sufficient. You can have in mind what your mean, the meaning of your word is, and you don't actually have to articulate um, the, 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 the meaning of, the, of what you have in mind. Uh, in other words, even though it actually is ambiguous, even though Nazir walking in front of you and saying, hey, hey, also has an ambiguity, because it, it could mean, I want to be a Nazir, or I want to sponsor his korbanot, um, as long as you have in mind one or the other, that is sufficient, and that is the chidush of the Mishnah in the uh, interpretation of Shemuel. Okay, we'll go a little bit more. The next example of the Mishnah was a person says, I will be beautiful. That is also a way of saying I'm going to be a Nazir with nice long curly hair. Okay. Hold on, that's also ambiguous. If it says I want to be beautiful, maybe it means I am going to be beautiful before God in mitzvot. I'm going to do, do mitzvot in a beautiful way. And we have a Baraita that teaches precisely this law. This lesson, when we say, this is my God and I will glorify him, how can we glorify God? Right? What can we do? Are you going to bring him gold, silver, your nice uh, scarf? Right? What, can, what can we possibly do as human beings to glorify our Creator? And the answer is, Oh, we can beautify Hashem through our performance of misfot. We can make a beautiful sukkah. You can make a plain old sukkah just out of, you know, uh, uh, plain old boards. But you want to make a beautiful sukkah, you add decorations to it to show how much we love the misfot. Um, or a lulav, a nice, a beautiful lulav, not just, uh, you know, the basic minimum uh, $3 lulav, but you spend a little extra for something that's more beautiful. You make seat in a beautiful way, uh, on a nice garment, you tie them nicely. I'm going to write a Sefer Torah, and you write it with beautiful handwriting, um, and you take the Torah and you put it in beautiful silk cloths, or right, a nice a nice case for the Sefer Torah, and all this, all these are ways that we can bring beauty to the misvot and glorify Hakadosh Baruch Hu thereby. So when a person says na'e, I want to bring beauty, maybe he's talking about through the misvot. How do you know he's talking about a nazir? Oh, Shemuel says, you're right, if he just said by itself, that would be too ambiguous. Uh, rather, the Mishnah is talking about a case where he's holding on to his hair, and he said, I'm going to be beautiful, and it's clear that by holding his hair, he indicates that this is going to be beautiful, beautiful through his hair by being a Nazir. Okay, good. So again, Shemuel comes to the rescue to explain the Mishnah. Now, Nezira milta da'avera, v'abrina le'na'eh, hold on, how can you call being a Nazir something beautiful? I understand, the guy uh, has curls, but, but um, becoming a Nazir is a matter of transgression. Right, we're going to see this theme come up more, but the basic idea, basic idea is that 
a person is taking making prohibited what the Torah permitted to him, so you're adding more prohibitions. So who's who said you should do that? Just like in vows, we said, you know, who makes vows? It is Sha'im. If a person says I'm gonna make vows like it like it is Sha'im, that's a good formula because only evil people make vows. Someone who has some problem, maybe when uh, with uh, um, with uh, being too materialistic. Okay, so he goes and, bees, uh, and becomes a Nazir. Right? But this is associated with Avera. So how could you say, I'm going to be beautiful through a Nazir, which is connected with transgression? And so we answer, oh, Yes, it is in fact beautiful, and everyone would agree. First of all, there are some people that are going to show that being a Nazir is a high level, and is a very nice thing to do, right? It's going above and beyond. But even according to the Biel Azar Kapar, who says a Nazir is a sinner, and it's not good to be a Nazir, he only said that regarding a Nazir who becomes Tameh. Let's say he's supposed to be a Nazir for 30 days. And 15 days later, in the middle of his, uh, of his tenure, he becomes Tameh for a touch, he goes in a cemetery. <clears throat> Um, and now he has to void all the 15 days he had before. They don't count. And he has to start all over again. As the Pasuk says, the first days, they fall away. They're void because he became defiled. And now he has to start all over again. And so, now you know, this guy, he took upon himself that he's going to be a Nazir for 30 days. That's what he had in mind. But now we're making him, uh, he was tried to be a Nazir for 15 days. And now he's going to have to start all over again. He's going to lose his drive. And it's more likely that he's going to sin. So, that's why the Be'elazar Kapar called a Nazir a sinner. He, but he was only referring to a Nazir who became Tameh. And now it's going to be very difficult for him to continue because he didn't want to even be a Nazir for that long. And so he's going to lose his motivation and he will, there's a good possibility that he will sin. That's what Abil Azakapah was against. Avan Nazir Tahor, Lav But if he's a Nazir and he's Tahor and he's doing everything right, so that's not called a Choteh, even the Abil Azakapah, who said, now, Nazir is Choteh was only referring to that category, but a general Nazir is a beautiful thing, and therefore, yes, it is fitting to say, haren, uh, uh, if a person says, um, Hareni Na'eh, um, that Na'eh means I'm going to be beautiful, and that, that could, be, uh, could be through Mitzvot, but if he's holding his, his hair, that means I'm going to be beautiful through the Mitzvah of Nazirut. Baruch Adonai Amen v'Amen.